Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 117 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the evening service of Sunday the 14th of July 2013, entitled The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ, Part 49. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Father, we thank you again this evening. We thank you, Lord, that we can take confidence, Lord, in the words that we've just read and from your word that, Lord, that one day the same one that died on the cross that rose again the third day, Lord, that he's coming back for us. And Lord, whether we sleep in the graves or whether we're alive when he comes, Lord, we're going to all be caught up together in the air to meet him there, to be with him forever and forever. We pray now that as we look into your word once again this evening, Lord, that you would just take and, uh, Lord, make it alive to our hearts. Help us to, to grasp that from it that you would have for us, and we'll give you the praise for it in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Final sermon in our series. You think I could have worked it out a little different. Looks like this will be number 49 that we have, have looked at. 49 sermons that we've looked at on the church. And I've enjoyed it. And, uh, and I've enjoyed all the study that I've had to put into it to, uh, to try to put it together. And uh, Sister Dan, finally you can tell Gavin that I finally got down in words. Uh, hopefully the answer to some of those questions that, uh, that he asked me about. But it looks like it's about 180-some pages worth so <laughs> to, uh, to dig through the, uh, the notes on this. But, uh, uh, but the glorious church of Jesus Christ, what a privilege to be a part of the body of Christ that he died for. And we've seen as we have looked at all these various things concerning uh, the church, uh, we began with defining what a New Testament church was. We looked at two things there, which sometimes there's confusion, but which I believe the Scripture is clear on, and that is, of course, the prospective church, uh, sometimes called the church with a capital C, sometimes called the universal church. There's been so much confusion that uh, uh, sometimes we can be hesitant, but I say the prospective church because we see that the church is a called-out assembly that belongs to the Lord. And, uh, and of course, what we're reading about right now, there's going to come that day when all whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life are going to be called out of here and gathered together for the first time ever uh, in that assembly in the sky. And of course, uh, that is why we call it a prospective church. It's something of the future. It's never all been together at one time in history, and it never will be until then. But right now we have the present church, the local church in which that uh, uh, we're a part of here on this body. And we saw it defined as believers and as a body and as a building and as a bride as we looked at those things. And, 
And, of course, then we looked at the organization of that, and we looked at a lot of things, the, uh, the organization, the, as we looked at the design, the organization, the officers, the ordinances, uh, the operation of that church, and many things that go with it. In other words, what defines us as a New Testament church? Uh, organized the way that God has organized us, operating the way that he operates because we're not a secular society. Uh, we're not something that's designed by man, and therefore uh, we need to look into God's word to see how he designed his church and how he means for it to operate. And then, of course, we spent a number of weeks looking at the duty of the New Testament church, uh, our duty to Christ, our duty to his commission, our duty to uh, the common uh, good of the body that uh, that we are a part of. Uh, and we've been looking last Sunday and this Sunday at the destiny of the New Testament church. We've seen uh, a lot of things, and of course, there uh, we said this morning that there are a lot of difficult days and challenging days and all of this, but we have a glorious destiny to uh, to look forward to. And as we have looked at the, uh, uh, the destiny of the church, we looked first at, uh, uh, at the rapture from the earth, uh, which includes the return of the Lord, the resurrection of the dead, the renovation of the living, and the reunion in the air. Uh, and we look forward to that trumpet sound that we just read about. Uh, we look forward to the, to the shout of the Lord himself and all those that know him will know his voice, praise God. Uh, we look forward to that day when that, uh, uh, whether we are alive or whether we are asleep, that will be called from this earth. And then we've looked at the reward in heaven, uh, that which we call the, the judgment seat of Christ, that every Christian, only the church, only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life are going to be there for that reward in heaven and then also for the, uh, the receiving of the bride when we are presented to Jesus Christ as his spotless bride finally uh, once and for all. And then we looked at uh, once that that has taken place, the return to the earth with our Lord as he comes back here literally uh, next to, for the reign upon the earth, that he will set up his kingdom as we saw this morning, and he will reign upon this earth for a thousand years. And of course, we find that uh, as we direct our attention back to those passages that we uh, were looking at there this morning, we find that uh, uh, in the book of Revelation that we're given a, uh, a very clear uh, picture uh, concerning the uh, the rain upon the earth. Of course, many of the Old Testament prophets give us uh, pictures of what that rain is going to be like while it's here upon the earth. But uh, I want to draw your attention back to the Reve book of Revelation again, uh, uh, once again this evening. And of course, we, we finished up there in chapter 20 this morning. And of course, as we, as we look through chapter 20, uh, we saw uh, Satan being bound for a thousand years, the setting up of God's kingdom here upon the earth. We see at the, at the end of that thousand years when Satan was loosed uh, that many were deceived, and we see the battle of Gog and, and, and Magog taking place. We see the final doom of Satan as he is cast into the lake of fire, uh, and we see the great white throne of judgment when all those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life will stand before uh, God and be judged for those things. Um, and so that was the way that chapter 20 finished, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. But I want to direct your attention to chapter 21 because there's one further thing concerning the destiny of the church. And of course, if you, uh, if you still have your charts that we went through in much greater detail on the second coming of Christ, uh, that last little round circle right out there at the end that says, New heaven, new earth, and eternity with Christ. 
Uh, we find that uh, uh, also if you look on your study charts that we had of the book of Revelation, that uh, there are at least seven new things that are found here uh, in chapter 21 that uh, we can direct our attention to. Now, what I want you to look at, first of all, this evening as we look down to chapter 21, notice what he says in these, uh, in these early verses. He says, and I saw, this is following, Satan being bound, all the lost being judged, sin being put away with finally and forever. He says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. He said, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. He said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. There's some amazing things that are taking place here, a new heaven and a new earth. The holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven to this earth. Why, you know, I guess there's much times that we try to speculate, preacher, do you really believe all that? Well, unless you want to take it and somehow symbolize it and make it something that the Bible doesn't say and start dealing in all that guesswork, then that's what the Word of God says. And that's what I believe. I believe that, yes, you know, I've, I've thought many times about that wiping away the tears from the eyes. And I'm not sure, Brother Steve, I can't be dogmatic on it, but, you know, I would imagine that, remember, we are returning with Jesus Christ to this earth when he comes to set up his kingdom and when at the end of, end of that kingdom, when he finally judges Satan and dooms him to the lake of fire forever, we're there, the great white throne of judgment. And, you know, I, I can't imagine that being a cheerful day for anybody. Um, I said, I don't think we can even begin to understand it because we can't really even begin to comprehend if you look at all of the horrible things of history, all of the death of history, all that man has done, all because of sin. If we could grasp how terrible sin is, then we could maybe grasp what it means to do away with it. But I wonder... I wonder, you know, because I can't imagine that it would be 
a happy day for anyone. And I can only imagine that when we see all those that could have been part of that new heaven and that new earth, that could have been a, a part of that eternity with our God. But instead, we see them being judged because their names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. Maybe that's the tears that will be wiped away. I don't know. But I know that according to what the Bible is saying there, there'll be nothing left to cry about. God is going to take away. Is he going to take away even the memory of all the bad things, the horrible things? I mean, you know, there are things that I can just think about in my mind now, and it still hurts. Things that happened maybe years and years and years ago, that still hurts. I don't know how God's going to do it, but I know that there's going to come this glorious day when all those things that were tainted with sin are going to be done away with and God is going to create, he says, all things new. We find that there's a new heaven and a new earth and a new people, <laughs> a people that every tear will be wiped from their eyes. Why? Because there's no more pain. There's no more sorrow. Yes, it's us, but in a state that we've never been in before, in something that we have never, ever known before. We specifically see here the Lamb's Bride in New Jerusalem. Now, if what we've already seen, that we've been presented as the Bride of Christ in heaven, and therefore we've come back to this earth with Him, then as that Jerusalem is coming down and it's adorned, those that are inhabiting that city is the Bride of Christ. And so we find that... Uh, uh, that I believe that it is the church that will be part of that new Jerusalem. Revelation chapter 21, as we continue, notice what he says in the next verses. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I'll show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was likened to a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. You see, again, there's one thing I can't explain, and I'm not uh, theologically bright enough to, to, to figure some of these things out. You know, it seems to me some people say, well, where's heaven? Well, we know that right now that the third heaven is out there beyond anything that we can see or have ever seen. Um, but we know that here that suddenly that heaven and this earth seems to have all come to one place. Where is heaven going to be? Well, again, you know, it's kind of like we mentioned this morning with time. You know, we're concerned with time because we only have so much of it, whether it's how much we've got today or whether it's how much we've got this week or whether it's how much we have in our lifetime before we leave this world. We're limited by time because that sin came in and with sin, death, and therefore we only have so much of it now. But it's the same thing with space. God is the God of all. He's the creator of all that is. You know, I guess it kind of, troubles us to try to figure out where things are because we can only be in one place at one time. We can't be here and over there. You know, we're getting ready to get on an airplane this Tuesday, God willing, and to, to fly across the Atlantic and to put down on the other side. I can't be here and there at the same time. I'm going to be in one place or the other. But you see, 
God doesn't have that limitation. <laughs> One of the things when we studied about God was his omnipotence, being everywhere at once, his omniscience of knowing everything at once. That's the God that we serve. He's, he is all power. He is omnipresent. He is omnipotent in power. He is omniscient in everything that he knows. And so, you know, space is something that concerns us because of our limitations. I, I, is there going to be a separation of what's on earth and what's in heaven? Well, there's a new heaven and a new earth. But it, and at this point, the only thing I can tell you is I know for absolutely certain is this. Heaven is where God is. <laughs> heaven is where we'll be with God in his presence. I know that God is with us now, spiritually, living within us, literally. But we find that that time is coming. And so we find that certainly I believe that we can have absolutely no doubt that as the bride of Christ that we're part of this because look back in Hebrews chapter 12 and notice what it says there beginning in verse 18. It says, for we are not coming to the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire and were under blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. Remember, we talked about this, this trumpet sound that's going to sound for us. It was the trumpet sound that was used to call God's people into his presence at the foot of Mount Sinai. It's the trumpet sound that's going to call us into the presence of God, but not at Mount Sinai, at Mount Zion, praise God. So we find here that it's not like that. He says, for they could not endure that which commanded and if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But notice what he says next. But ye are coming to Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. Verse 23 says, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better than that of Abel. That's where you are being called to, not to that physical mountain, but to Mount Zion itself, to where God is, to where Jesus Christ is personally. We find that that's the holy city as described in Hebrews and those that are there. The inhabitants of the heavenly Jerusalem are the bride of Christ, the church. Here with the making of the new heaven and the new earth, a new people with no pain and no sorrow, there's a new Jerusalem for that bride as well. You see, again, we try to work all this out in our minds. Well, hang on. We were already called to heaven before. We've come back to earth. You know, were, were we in the new Jerusalem when we went to heaven in, in the heavenly city? But here, there's a new Jerusalem, a new heaven. All things, remember, everything is made new. And the bride of Christ is the one that inhabits this new Jerusalem, this new city that God is making. With that new Jerusalem, there's a new temple as well but it's not like any temple you've ever known of before. You see, he goes on and he continues to 
to describe as we uh, read down through this, this, this chapter. But again, many of the verses down through verse 21 are describing that city. And it's a beautiful picture uh, as he goes through all the, uh, the length of it and the breadth of it and all the, the precious stones that make it up, the new Jerusalem. But then within that new Jerusalem, notice what he says down in verse 22. And he says, and I saw no temple therein. I mean, this is God's holy city. Well, why isn't there a temple there? Why? For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. <laughs> They don't need any structural building anymore because that's a place to come together to come into the presence of God, but it's going to be God himself that is going to be there. And Jesus Christ, the Lamb himself, we will be in their presence in that new Jerusalem that's made for you and for I. We find that he goes on in verse 23 and he says, and the city had no need of the sun neither of the moon, to shine in it. Why? For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. I said this morning, you know, we see the sun as such a phenomenal thing, and it's necessary for our life here upon earth. We have the moon and the stars to, to give us light by night, and God put those things there for us, for the realm that we live in. But the realm that we're going into, our destiny, folks, <laughs> In the presence of God, there is no need for that physical son anymore because it's God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. That one and the same, we try to set the God himself, and he says here very, very clearly, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb, Jesus Christ himself, is the light thereof. With Jesus there, in all of his glory, the son is nothing. You don't need an artificial, you don't need something physical because in the new Jerusalem, Jesus Christ himself will be that light. He goes on, he says, and the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. The kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day for there shall be no night there. They shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. You see, our destiny, our destiny, I, I mean, you know, you can try. I, I go guess it hurts. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not an old man yet, but 57 is not a young man either. I've been trying to figure some of these things out and get my head around them my whole life, and I still can't get my head around some of them. But I look at the description here. And I try to understand because, you know, I believe that right now, you know, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Brother Steve, if, if, if something happens that, you know, I, I, I could have a heart attack and kill over right here in front of me. I can't, I'm not anxious to, to catch the next bus out, but I can't think of a better way to go than, than preaching God's word, that's for sure. The truth is, is that none of us know when that last heartbeat will come. But I believe whenever it does, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Spiritually, I'll be right in the presence of Lord where, the Lord where my dad and your loved ones and those that have gone before us that knew the Lord where they are right now. But one day, the destiny of the church with what we're looking at here, one day, 
One day, it's though they're there spiritually now, I believe, right now. I don't understand the concept of soul sleep and people just being asleep and non-existent until, no, that's not what the picture that the Bible gives us, I believe. But one day, their bodies that they lived in while they were here on earth is going to be raised up again. And when they're reunited with that body, they're going to be changed in the moment in the twinkling of a time. And all that corruptible is going to put on incorruption and they're going to be changed into the very glory of the one that created them. I believe that with all my heart and I believe that Jesus, we saw the fulfillment of his promise. He said, let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. He said there in my father's house are many mansions and if it were not so, I would have told you. He said, if I go to prepare a place for you, which he's already said I'm doing, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. Jesus promised that. And we see the fulfillment of that. And I believe that Jesus did that. And, you know, you've heard me say before, I don't, I don't believe he had to go up there and go back to his carpenter trade and get out the hammer and nails and the lumber and start, start building up the planks and putting together a place for us. God said, and it was. His preparation is not in that physical sense, but in the spiritual realm. But I also know that one day the destiny of the church is when we're reunited with him. And, and yes, we're going to be there in heaven. And then we're going to come back to this earth because he's coming back to this earth. And we're going to be with him when he comes back. And then after he's taken care of all that he's done here after his reign and, and after the judgment and after Satan and sin and all those terrible things being dealt with finally once and for all, He's going to make all things new. Nothing that was touched by that sin will be here anymore. Why did he have to create a new heaven? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Bible says he does create us a new heaven or new earth. Maybe it's just the reality that suddenly there's no more separation between where heaven is now and where we are now and, and all of this because sin is what separates us from God. I don't know all the logistics, but I know that he's going to create it. And he says he's going to create this new Jerusalem. And the inhabitants of it, again, just in case being the bride and what he's already taught us about the bride weren't sufficient, notice what he says there in the last verse of that chapter, verse 27. He says, and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, Neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's who's going to be in the city. <laughs> Those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You see, that's why I know what my destiny is. And I know that, you know, we've got a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ and I love them, and some of them that I believe is very fundamental to our faith, as I said when we talked about Jesus Christ himself, that he is himself personally returning to this earth for you and I. I know there's differences in how they think it's going to happen and the timing and all of these different things. The thing is, if you take the Bible for what it says, then I believe with all of my heart, that these are literal happenings, that they will happen. You know, the thing is, I'm not worried about it. 
I just look forward to it with expectancy because that's the destiny that's before us. And any true child of God believes that there's a destiny before us that's going to be with Jesus Christ forever. And I'd be the first to say that I don't even begin to understand everything that I've even put on this chart for you. I don't. But boy, what I do, it is exciting. And I believe it with all my heart. And I know that I'm going to be with Jesus. And I know that this earth is going to be made like what God intended for it to be. And sin is going to be dealt with. And I know that we've got an eternity to spend with him. And I know that that day's coming. And this is just a little glimpse. You know, the same Bible that tells us all these things that we can know about it is the same Bible that tells us that I hasn't even seen. <laughs> Ear hasn't heard what's in store for us. <laughs> you know, we, we only have a glimpse of it. It's just, you know, the, the Bible says if, if, if God had given us everything that Jesus Christ has done, the world couldn't contain it. We've just got a glimpse of it to know who he is and what's taking place this evening. I want you to understand you can be a part of a lot of things, important things, things that you'd be recognized for, things that the world would recognize you for. But the most important membership that you can have is that in heaven that your name be written in the Lamb's book of life, that you be a member of God's family, bought with the very blood of Christ. And as we look at all these glorious things about the church, and I mean, it's just amazing. You know, man couldn't have thought it up. Man couldn't have designed it that way. Man couldn't make it work that way. And the only thing that gets messed up in it is what we mess up because we don't do it God's way because of our failings and our shortcomings. But we've got such a glorious, glorious destiny. And you know what comes after this, Brother Steve? Just eternity, brother. <laughs> Just eternity with our Lord. Just eternity with no sin, no sorrow, no pain. None of the things that have brought the corruption that we live amongst down here. Eternity without all of that. And so this evening, I trust and pray that as we've looked at these things and there's a lot more things could be said. This is not meant to be exhaustive on the church. There's lots of things that I've tried to keep out because you'll only listen to me for so long. And I've only got so much time because I'm still living in this sinful world that I am limited by time. And you know, by the time that I get to the point that I'm not limited by time anymore, then I won't need to preach anymore. So that's kind of a shame. But while we're down here, I've got limitations and you've got limitations. But boy, what we know, it is exciting and it's glorious. May we understand how glorious the church is. What a privilege it is to be a part of it. And for you, each and every one individually, it's vital that you be a part of that body. Yes, when the trumpet sounds and calls us out of here, but you can't even begin to look at what we've looked at and not understand the importance of being a part of the body of Christ down here, of a local church. That's the only church that has any authority in this world right now. That's where the work of Christ takes place in this world right now. We need to be a part of that, God. And God has the perfect place for each and every one of us. And though we don't all agree, we're not all enemies. 
There are things that I've tried to say over and over again when we've talked about the fundamentals of the faith. There are things that we must believe the same if we're part of the same faith. You know, we've got a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ to think that what we've talked about right here this evening is just a vivid imagination, that God didn't give that to us to be literal. There are those that don't believe in a literal reign, that don't believe in some of these things, and, you know, that's between them and God. I still love them, and I'll still hopefully be in that new Jerusalem with them one day, praise God. They're not our enemies. But at the same time, oh, wouldn't I struggle immensely if I were a part of a local church that the preaching and the teaching did not take these things literally in God's Word. That would, that would hinder me greatly because I, I believe the Bible as it is written. You know, I've had this conversation with many people, and, and I love them in the Lord. But, you know, why should I take what God has said so clearly and try to make it into something that isn't? It doesn't make sense to me. Take the Bible for what it says. <laughs> if you take it for what it says, and of course we've seen, yes, there's a lot of symbolism in Revelation. I've even showed you to look out for those little words, as it were, as it were, as it were. Sometimes, John, you know, there weren't any words to express what he was seeing. There weren't any way to explain it because there was no human anything like it to explain it to. But God tells us those things when they're there. It's not imagination that Jesus Christ is coming back. And it's not an imagination to know that the Bible teaches us that he's coming back to set up a kingdom. And that one day, our destiny, however the timing comes out, and however brothers and sisters in Christ that are going to the same place may see it, one day our destiny is going to be with Jesus Christ for all of eternity. And that's something we can know with absolute positive certainty. The destiny of this glorious church of Jesus Christ, the rapture from the earth, the reward in heaven, the receiving of the bride, the return to the earth, the reign upon the earth, and the remaking of all things new. That's our destiny. Rejoice in it in the Lord. Father, we thank you again this evening. Lord, I know, as with so many things, Lord, I struggle to even find words to express what I do see here, let alone the things that are beyond my vision and my ability to grasp. But I pray that you would take, and by the power of your Spirit, because he's the one that gives understanding, I pray that you would open the hearts and minds of each one and just help them to grasp the beauty, the beauty of our destiny and all that you're doing for us. And Father, I pray that you would help us Lord, as we continue to be a part of your body here upon this earth, I pray that you would help us, Lord. Help us individually to be a part of what we see in the Scriptures is truly a New Testament church. And Father, I pray that you would help us as a church in all of our imperfections and failings and shortcomings and with all the things that we don't know, help us, Lord. Lord, to be a New Testament church that you would be pleased with. Make us what we need to be. Give us the understanding that we need to have. And help us, Lord, above all, to take our responsibility here seriously, and that is the work of Christ upon this earth, 
to reach out to every human being that we possibly can with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we will give you the praise for it. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.